0: What's up <laughs> now, just recording a podcast. What's
1: okay. up with Oh, not too much. You know what, though? What you need a counselor, thanks. So, do you? <laughs> I do need a counselor. You're right. So, hello, welcome back to You Need a Counselor. We are a therapist and a behavioral health counselor. Um, here to talk to you about exactly why it is that we need a counselor and exactly why it is that you need a counselor. So I'm Julie Johnson. I am the president and founder of Heart and Solutions Counseling Agency here in Iowa. Um, So if you are in Iowa and you're interested in doing maybe some telehealth, counseling or some computer counseling, go ahead and give us a call at the end of the episode.
0: And I'm Krista Brown, and I am the vice president at Heart and Solutions. So I'm in charge of the behavioral health department, um, where we work with kids ages four to 18 on different behaviors. If you listen, last week, we did interview one of our own be counselors um, and talked a little bit about what she does in sessions, but we go in home um, or in school or in the office or doing telehealth right now as well in Iowa. Um, And the mission of our podcast is that we are designed for people curious about counseling, but have barriers keeping them from experiencing the benefits of counseling. Our mission is to share stories about counseling, good, bad, and indifferent, and spread the message that everyone can benefit from mental health and behavioral health counseling services.
1: Yeah, so we post on Sunday nights at 5pm. You'll see our trailer videos on Friday afternoons. Um, So that's just a little sneak peek into who we're interviewing that week and why. Uh, And then check us out Sunday nights as well, uh, either on YouTube or on Facebook or Instagram as well, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today we have a very special guest. We have Jessica Meyer here with us today. Welcome, Jessica. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Um, You have a podcast called The Only You, a one and done podcast. And it sounds like you co-host that with your husband.
0: Yes, we sure do. Right in the basement of our house.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Very cool. So we're going to be really interested in learning what that is like. Um, and you are also, you're a mother and you're a mother
0: of an only child. Yes. Wow. Yes, I am. I, I don't know if it's too early for me to jump into that story, but <laughs> I would love to hear that story. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, yes, I do host Only You, One and Done podcast. And originally my husband and I were planning on having multiple children. Um, We were really excited and we didn't plan exactly how many, but two or three probably. So uh, my pregnancy went great. There wasn't any real hiccups until the very end when um, my daughter had to be born prematurely due to preeclampsia. I developed it around the like 35 week mark Mm -hmm. and she hadn't been growing for some time at that point. So she was about the size of a 30 to 32 week baby. And she had to be born immediately or else both of us would be in grave danger. Um, So my birth story did not go how I thought it would. I ended up being in the hospital for about a week just delivering her. Um, They were trying to stabilize both of us and make sure that we would be okay. And then once she was born due to her small size, she had some health issues. So we were hospitalized several different times then as well. So we got off to a really rocky start in motherhood and parenthood. And it took a while for us to decide to be one and done after that. Uh, We still were kind of considering a second baby, but due to my mental health struggles after that experience, really, and the fact that preeclampsia does tend to strike twice, um, we decided to just stay with one. And when I was trying to talk that out with people who are close to me, uh, moms that I know, family members, friends, I would actually get a lot of pushback. And I realized that there was a lot of stigma around having an only child. And I felt very alone. So therapy was extremely helpful for me. And then actually starting a podcast became very cathartic for me as well, mm-hmm. because we've been able to find this whole community of folks for a lot of different reasons who have decided to be one and done. Can
1: you describe what preeclampsia is just for anybody listening who doesn't?
0: Sure. Isn't aware of that? Sure. It's, um it happens to like, I think the statistic is about two to 3% of pregnancies. Huh. Um, It's a condition that starts with high blood pressure. Uh, for me, my blood pressure, when I went into that 35 week appointment, it was like 200 over I don't even remember, 140 or something crazy. And it's supposed to be 120 over 80. So it was ridiculously high. And then the second marker is protein in your urine. And what happens is that because of that high blood pressure and what's happening in your body, the risk is that um, you could become eclamptic, which is having seizures. So it's basically pre-seizures. And then ultimately what can happen is a stroke as well. Uh, I don't know a whole ton about it, because for me researching it wasn't super helpful. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but the risk is, of course, if you have a seizure or have a stroke, the baby may not make it and you may not make it. Uh-huh. So the only cure for preeclampsia is to have the child. So sometimes those babies have to come really early. Sometimes it doesn't happen until further into your pregnancy. It risk depends. Uh-huh. And it's feels more common than it is. You know, I hear about it a lot. Uh, Just recently, unfortunately, a pediatric resident here in the US did pass away. And they say that it happens a lot more to people who are underprivileged and don't have access to good health care. But unfortunately, it can happen to anyone. And it was a really touch and go situation for myself and my daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And going through those situations are can be so traumatizing because it's not only our own health and our own wellness, um, it's our, our child. And this is the yeah. first experience that we're having <laughs> alongside <laughs> yeah our child and having that situation be traumatic um, is sometimes we think about trauma in, in general terms. And we think, well, it's, it's if something happens to us that threatens our life, but we go through vicarious trauma and our body doesn't understand whether we were in danger or our child or somebody that we love was in danger. And in these situations, uh, it's both of us. We're both yeah. in danger. Um, and I, I had, uh, preeclampsia also. So, um, what comes to mind for me is like having to pee in that giant orange bucket. (laughs) So if any, if you, if anybody had to pee in a giant orange bucket, uh, to test for, for protein in their urine, uh, you had what, what Jess and I had. Um, and so, and that experience of being, you know, not only it's the first time that we've had um, to come face to face with danger to our, our child. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, danger to ourselves, you were able to go to counseling after that. And it sounds like that was a helpful experience to you as yeah. well. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Sure. So those first few weeks I was in the hospital with Penny, that's my daughter's name. Aww. Um, and, I was experiencing postpartum preeclampsia. So for me, it actually didn't go away when I had her. I still had really, really high blood pressure. I had to be medicated. And uh, those first few days of her being in the NICU or hospitalized, I didn't realize that because they send us home and my blood pressure had been okay. But then I had a checkup or something like that about a week later, and it was still just as high as it was that first day that i went in mm-hmm. and that kind of started this secondary pre-eclampsia journey for me where i was still really sick and pre but i was in the children's hospital uh and that was for i think three or four weeks i was there we had our own room in the hospital and uh once we finally got home i had been a mom for about a month and it had been very tumultuous so When Penny was about two months old and we were a little more settled, I started taking her to my therapy appointments. I was a stay at home mom. So she just came with me and I was explaining to the therapist what, what had gone on. And I remember everything kind of made sense to me in that appointment because I said to her, I haven't been to the children's hospital in a month, but every single moment of the day, I feel like I'm still walking those halls. I just feel like I haven't left yet. So I think what was happening was that through my, my health issues and the trauma, it was like I, I never fully let my guard down and just started being a mother. Mm-hmm. I was still kind of in that advocacy mode. I was still in that we're both very sick mode mm-hmm. and I never was able to fully relax and just enjoy her. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that the therapist helped me do was to kind of clear that fog. And start seeing things a little bit more clearly, and seeing reality for what it was. From
1: the very start, you were you were in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to be. Um, you had to to try to do whatever you could to uh, to be able to be on alert, right, for danger. That's what yeah. what happens with trauma, and especially a prolonged traumatic experience like that. Um, it it takes us a while to know that we are safe that today i am safe uh especially when it is prolonged because our brain just doesn't understand right Right. it does everything it can to protect us um and it just doesn't have an off switch right um and so i think that those kinds of experiences are so important to be talking about so i'm so glad that you're sharing this on your podcast and that you're you're sharing this experience with others because when we think about new motherhood we think about balloons and baby showers, right? <laughs> like we think yeah. about like, oh, cute baby pictures and, you know, two month pictures and three month pictures and little baby booties. And we don't, it because of the strength of that, because there's such a, a collaborative, a- emotional sense uh, of what it's like to be a new mom, that can very easily override our actual experience as yes. an individual and can really set up a lot of guilt uh associated with even having our own experience because we we think that it should be a certain way yes. for us um and so yeah my
0: expectations were not you know they were not in line with what really happened mm-hmm. and i think as a first time mom you're very um careful and cautious and you're worried and you're having people wash their hands and things like that. You're watching every little thing for danger, right? That's just a normal first-time mom thing. But for me, it was so exacerbated. And my therapist said that I was dealing with um, postpartum anxiety as well as a hypervigilance. So basically having to be a part of her care team so early on Mm -hmm. kind of blurred that line between like nurse and mom. I was, uh, still feeling like we were in the hospital, even though we were home and I was having a hard time trusting my instincts and mm-hmm. I was having a hard t- time trusting my baby.
1: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And had you heard of postnatal anxiety previously? Was that kind of in your, uh, how did you identify that that's what you were experiencing afterwards? Sure, and I only yeah. ask because I was, aware that that was a thing, but uh, I, we more hear about postnatal depression um, exactly. than we do anxiety. And so when right. I experienced it, I was like, what is this? Yes. <laughs> What's
0: happening to me? Yes. Same thing for me. I had heard about postpartum depression and I knew the signs to look for, right? The baby blues and, and uh, um, sort of the anger and the different things that they're talking about. And I didn't really have any of those, but I had not heard of postpartum anxiety and I didn't know what was happening until I got to speak to my therapist. And she sort of was able to tell me what that was and why I was feeling the way I was.
1: It's so nice sometimes to be able to we talk about labels a lot in society and we there's they kind of get such a bad wrap, I think sometimes, right? Like, do I want to be labeled as somebody who has anxiety? Do I want to be labeled as this or that? But I think that in certain situations, um, when it comes to something like postpartum anxiety, there's a relief in that almost, right? Of, okay, this is a thing. This is not just in my head. This is not something that's just happening to me for some reason that I have control over. This is something that does happen to so many people, Um, and so I'm allowed to experience that fully. Um, and also to know that there are things that I can do, um, to kind of ease my, uh, my symptoms as well. So, um, it sounds like that was, that was another benefit of talking with your counselor about that because you could have that label of, okay, this is what it is. (laughs) is. <laughs> it's not yeah. just me and, and my situation.
0: Sure. Because I think what they tell you in therapy sometimes is like, anxiety is a liar, you know? And if you're able to kind of put those thoughts in a box and say, I don't always know if those are true. Those thoughts, just because I'm having them doesn't mean that that's really what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I can really make up an entire story in my head that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to say, anxiety is something that's kind of, sometimes it does help. You know, my hypervigilance may have saved her life Mm -hmm. at a certain point um, because of some things that we found out about um, a heart condition she has. Mm. So there is merit to it. I don't want to turn off my anxiety 100% because the way that I am overanalyzing every little thing and advocating for her, Mm -hmm. that is a positive Mm -hmm. and that is a strength. But when it gets to the point where it's, taking away from other experiences and taking away from me finding joy within motherhood Mm -hmm. then there needs to be some coping skills learned
1: and so you you went through this experience and it it changed your whole plan right for for your life so you were somebody who had thought well two maybe three kiddos, and then went through this experience and it changed that perspective so much for you. Can you talk a little bit about that
0: transition for you and your husband? Sure. So I think three, four months in, I had started therapy. I think I was going every week. I think at a certain point I was going twice a week. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to feel a lot more comfortable in motherhood and and things were getting better. She was starting to gain weight and she was no longer on like the negative 10th percentile or whatever, Uh you know, things were starting to even out a little bit. Yeah. And that's when people started asking me about a second. It happens so fast. Wow. (laughs) I'm like still healing physically. (laughs) Yep. And people start saying, you know, so and she gonna have a brother or sister. Which to me is always a shocking question. But I think once people sort of see you starting to feel more comfortable in motherhood, they feel safe to ask that question because I'm getting out of the house and meeting friends at restaurants before COVID, of course, Mm -hmm. and doing those kind of normal motherhood things. And I remember talking to my husband about it. And it was sort of just one evening, like some of these big conversations tend to happen. I just said, I don't think I can do this again. I don't want to. I don't think I'm mentally equipped to try all of that again. I have looked into it a little bit and there is a risk of me getting preeclampsia again. It's not something that just happens once or during your first pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And because I had postpartum preeclampsia, I'm actually going to be more prone to high blood pressure my entire life. It's Mm -hmm. just something that's that's within me now. Mm -hmm. So the likelihood is it's high-ish, you know, it's like a coin flip. I just asked him, like, would you be okay with just one? And that's when we realized we had never talked about it. We had never even talked about the idea. It was always going to be multiple. It's always maybe two, maybe three. We'll see how we feel after three. I think that sweet spot was probably two. But if I really loved it, because my pregnancy went so well, like, why not? I I even talked about being a surrogate at one point. I was like, this is great. (gasps) And I asked him and he said, I I would be fine with that. I don't, I mean... We have to make sure to socialize her and make sure she's hanging out with friends and cousins. And Mm -hmm. it might be kind of cool. We have a tiny house. We have a tiny car. (laughs) We have a tiny budget. We had talked about it. We had started to feel really comfortable with the idea. And for me, it was actually a huge relief to know that I wouldn't have to go through what I went through before. Mm -hmm. And it kind of helped me on that path of healing to know that it was firmly in the past. Because with that lingering feeling that it might happen again, and I might not survive that second time, and I might not be able to spend more time with my daughter, who I worked so hard to have, Mm -hmm. it was a tremendous relief for me to just say, actually, I think I'm not going to be pregnant again. I think I'm done. And it wasn't until other people started giving input that I (laughs) had second thoughts about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, what I love about that is you gave yourself and your husband permission to change your minds based <laughs> on experience and based on, you know, instead of uh, what we think things are going to be like, it's this is how things are. And you're giving for yourself permission to change that together. Um, and I think that that is, is so inspiring um, for a lot of people because it does get Uh, we do have a tendency, I think, or I do at least to imagine things a certain way. And then I get all kinds of feelings about when it doesn't go that way. Right. And I think that I need to force myself to continue to follow that plan when really things, things change and they change us and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just think it's so uh, it's so cool that you guys were being so intentional and having that conversation as well to say yep we both kind of were on this uh this plan but now that we have new information what do we want to do? And what's our new plan going forward? Um, and I think just the fact that you brought it up to him on a random evening right, <laughs> is, is so important because I mean, how often does it happen in couples where uh, we assume that the other person's on that same track, right? And how easy could it have been for you to decide for yourself, Hey, I don't want to have any more children, but assume that he does and get resentful towards him right. <laughs> right, for doing yes, that. Yes, Definitely. So I think it's just a great example um, of communication and just talking that through with your partner too.
0: Yeah, I feel so lucky to have him. Uh, He is a very chill, go with the flow kind of guy. And uh, he is just, he's very supportive. But if it were to come up that he really in his heart wanted more than one, I wouldn't have another one. But there are other options we could you know, we could do adoption or fostering or surrogacy. Mm -hmm. But for us, um, when we discuss those options, there's also the financial aspect where if I'm going to be putting, let's say, I think for an average adoption, it's around $75,000. I don't have that statistic in front of me, but it's not inexpensive. not cheap, no. So (laughs) if I were to be putting that much aside, what kinds of things would we be sacrificing to do that? Um, we have a lot of ambitions as far as getting out of debt, um, traveling the world, expanding our house, getting Penny into good child care once she's bigger. We have all these things that we were going to be able to do if our children were uh, given birth to in a natural way that, that wasn't so expensive or cost prohibitive. Mm-hmm. And if we decided to go a different route, we would have to be sacrificing some things. I knew I wasn't gonna be able to sacrifice my mental health. I knew I wasn't gonna be able to sacrifice my body. We decided as a couple that, although having a sibling would be nice, it wouldn't be nicer than these other things that we wanna do with our life.
1: Absolutely. I can so relate with uh, with the challenges that you've, you've identified in terms of society and other people uh, and the pressure to have another child. Um, so I, my daughter's four and we are also, one and done. Oh my and we, and uh, you know, my my thing uh, usually when people ask me, I start saying the word vasectomy, and then people stop
0: asking
1: <laughs> they don't want to hear, they don't want to talk about it anymore. Because as soon as uh, as soon as we could, my husband had a vasectomy, mm-hmm. and uh, because we we knew, you know, this was kind of was our plan from the start. But I think even with that, there were people who thought well and in our family and and friends who thought well once they have one they'll kind of change their mind right like once you see how great it is to have one you'll probably want another one and uh and we (laughs) we said yeah our daughter is is wonderful and perfect. And, and she, that's great. (laughs) She is, she is a perfect version of, of herself. So, I mean, I can really relate with that. And I do, I do bring up vasectomies quite a bit because it does kind of shut that down pretty Mm -hmm. quick. Like our other option is I, Have a baby with somebody else, right? Or that we totally, but I I think too for me, like, so I'm adopted, and uh, and when I was adopted in 1987, it was 45,000 to adopt internationally, right? So, what you're saying with 75 makes total sense now, and I think that me being adopted as well kind of opens that door even more for. people so once I start talking about vasectomies they go well you could adopt right you know how great that is mm-hmm. uh, um, yes <laughs> I do and uh but you know for for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned the financial reasons but also like the time budgeting reasons yeah. I mean I just I have a certain amount of time in my week and I I already sometimes feel like I don't have enough of it being dedicated straight to her, like looking in her face and playing (laughs) dolls with her at the same time. Right. Like I always have a sense at the end of the week that like, I want more of that. You know, when I think about having another child, I don't think it would be a horrible if it did happen. But I do know that you have a certain amount of time in your week and you have a certain amount of money in your budget. Um, and for us, the the introduction of another child feels almost intrusive right? yeah. <laughs> into what our life is like right now. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't love to have more kids if that did happen with us or to us or for us I guess however you want to say it sure um but not that I wouldn't love that child but just that one is great (laughs) one is really really good but Um, doesn't
0: that beg the question of like if you're my friend and my family why why doesn't no mean no you know why why do I have to further explain myself to you mm -hmm. And especially as a pre survivor or someone who decided to be one and done before entering motherhood or whatever our reasons may be, I just sometimes get frustrated that we have to do so much work to validate ourselves. Mm-hmm. When, if you were to ask a parent of two children why they didn't stick with one, <laughs> they would, you know, does that conversation ever happen? Oh, you're having a second, huh? Money bags over here. <laughs> That conversation has literally never happened. I don't understand why there is such a difference in how one and done parents are spoken to. And especially since in our culture, it really, it doesn't go well. Typically when you give unsolicited parenting advice, if you were to go up to someone and they said, I'm, you know, not to bring up a hot topic on your podcast, but like I'm formula feeding (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not breastfeeding. I'm formula feeding typically. That is not a nice thing to make a comment on. Like, People aren't gonna wanna hear it. They, if they want your advice, they'll ask for it, but it's a personal choice and it's what's best for them and you can just move on. But when it comes to being one and done, it's not even socially unacceptable to, to make a remark on it. People will just speak out of turn and they will mask it as for your own good. They'll say, you'll change your mind and they'll say i have experience with this just wait <laughs> it's just it's so unfair
1: mm-hmm. probably the more the most common one i get is like they'll ask monica when she's oh. so my daughter's monica they'll say monica when is your mommy going to give you a brother when is your mommy going to give you a sister and then it's like i have to have this whole conversation with my daughter too yeah to be honest like it's none of my daughter's business even yeah. right? like <laughs> well, like when are we you know but then uh, i remember getting so frustrated because that happened to us one time i think we were at a baby shower so i think like babies were on people's sure. minds and uh, and they said well when are you they said that to monica and then for like 2 weeks she was like <laughs> i want a sister i want a brother and my daughter has an imaginary sister who is, her name is Oceana and oh. she is a very, very naughty child <laughs> uh, and, and I think it's great because Monica's always scolding her sister about like, Oceana, we do not interrupt people, right? Or we do not throw food, Oceana. Uh, so it just really is fun, right? But at the same time, uh, it, it started out, the the fake sister, the imaginary sister started during COVID um, oh, sure. And so for us, we we started having some feelings, right? About oh no, she's not at school anymore. She's not with other kids. She's not going to dance class. There's nobody here for her to play with. Um, and so, and then she she came up with this, uh, started talking about Oceana. Sure. Right? And Oceana keeps her company pretty well, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I, I think that a lot of those feelings can just be kind of compounded. But because those are natural feelings, I think, whether you have zero kids or you have 10 kids, like it's natural to have feelings of like, oh, what would it be like, right, to have a different number of children. Um, And I think if we, you know, if I had 10 kids, I'd probably think like, what would it be like to have five kids or, you know, just to have less. So I think that those are natural thoughts, but I think you're right that like those natural thoughts that happen with parents who are having one child or even decide that they don't want to have any children, um, that that idea is just so ingrained in our society that it's, it's okay to ask about that or to like make suggestions about that all the time. And like, it's like, we already have those, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we already have it internally. And yes. for, um, you know, not to speak for uh, Krista, but I mean, there are couples who are like, hey, we're getting married. You know what I mean? Like we're engaged, <laughs> but people still ask, like, when are you going to have kids? And it's like, we're engaged, exactly. like we're, you know, like one thing at a time here, please. <laughs> sure. Um, And yeah. so I, do, do you find similarity or difference between Uh, couples who decide, you know, I don't want to have any children, and couples who decide, you know, I want to have one child. Is there kind of a different societal expectation?
0: Actually, some of the best support that we get from non-parents is from the the child-free folks Mm -hmm. who are saying, I want to be validated in my relationship. I want to be validated as a woman, as a part of the conversation, but I never want to have kids. I love my nieces and nephews or my friends, kids or whoever, like I don't dislike kids, but I'm really tired of being pressured and being made to feel that my life isn't enough if I don't have children. And it's really interesting because they come to us and say, thank you for speaking out. Mm-hmm. And there's not really anybody advocating for for women or parents um, who don't wanna have children. So through this podcast, kind of unintentionally, but I'm happy to support people who don't want to have kids at all. So sometimes in my posts or, or whatever, I, I do make sure to mention also, check on your child-free folks because they're getting a lot of that same rude comment uh, that we are. They're getting some of those pressures that we are and they're hurting too. Uh, so we just, we want to be sure to support them as well.
1: The overall, message is that we are allowed to make these decisions for our families um and i you know i wonder also on the on the other side of the spectrum right because i know when uh so i've got a friend who has three kiddos and um and even for her when she got pregnant with her third people started making kind of also inappropriate comments about like oh you're not done yet oh you don't have enough kids right and so i think that i think it does happen on the other side and the the overall problem is that it doesn't it doesn't necessarily matter how many kids a ch- a person has that's their decision to make and if they want yeah. to have another one they will and if right. they don't want to have another one they won't and I think that that those suggestions of like oh well you just have your fourth you're done now right stuff like that um can also be on that same side just as damaging
0: yeah I've heard people say uh what are you building a whole football team there They'll say things like that. Mm -hmm. And again, why are we commenting on people's personal choices? Why is it any of your business? Mm -hmm. It goes both ways. Mm -hmm. I do think it's less likely when someone has two kids because society has decided that's the right amount and Mm -hmm. anything above that or below that is wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's like the ideal. But even when you do have two kids, even when you have the perfect white picket fence two kid family, As a mom, you're still getting judged for other things, you know, like I was saying with the breastfeeding versus formula, or um, you know, sleep training versus not sleep training. All of these different things. I just feel like moms can't get a break sometimes, Mm -hmm. and people love judging them. And I don't know. It's it's very very frustrating. So we really try to advocate for whatever choice you make is yours to make. And really nobody else's input matters besides the people within your family. Mm-hmm. I try to say, my daughter is happy and healthy and loved. Why am I getting criticized? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing everything I possibly can. For me, like you have your vasectomy thing, I like to say I almost died in childbirth. You're really telling me to have another baby? I just once you say that to someone, mm-hmm. <laughs> it it stops the conversation yeah. in a really awkward way, uh-huh. which is perfect because they started that off. They started I didn't. the awkwardness. <laughs> like, <laughs> you want to go there? Fine, I'll go there with you. That's all good. Uh huh. And then you know sometimes when it comes to birth traumas, that's a whole other subject where there are certain moms who kind of wear it as a badge of honor, where they say, I almost died in childbirth also, I had this happen, and this happened, and this happened, but I did it again, you could do it again. Mm. And it really discredits that mental health aspect for me, you know, and if you want to do it again, absolutely more power to you, that is your choice. And I'm happy for you. And I wish you all the best and all the health in the world. But for me, it was compounded with the mental health struggles that came along with it making it not worth it to me. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I could mother my child very well. If I was pregnant, just absolutely full of stress and anxiety for nine months, wondering if I was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And then that newborn phase and not even to mention, you know, labor and delivery, which is a whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to make that choice for me. And that's like, that's self-care. I had to I had to like put a boundary up and say I cannot do that to myself again. I can't be the mother that I want to be if I put my body through that again, mm-hmm. um, and that seems to be very discredited sometimes.
1: I always kind of wonder, you know, if if in our society, if we think that um, that it's okay to talk about those things when because there's children involved. Like if mm-hmm. that's what, you know what I mean? So yeah. um, I, I always kind of wonder that if people get kind of a hero complex of like, oh, I'm going to sure. save these yeah. kids or, uh, you know, by making them be born or something, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what it is, but um, that I kind of wor- wonder about that. But then at the same time, you get people who uh, are in a long-term committed Partnership and just choose not to get married, right? But they get those same kinds yeah. of uh, of comments, um, and so. But what I love about your story is that you were able to set those boundaries on your mental health as well. You were able to say, "I only have a certain amount of like mental health energy, right? I have a certain amount because you know we've we've talked about. Uh, so I'm diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. My husband is not it takes me more mental energy to get through certain situations than it takes him. Right. And so, and he's got his own stuff, right. That takes him more mental energy than it does me. Like it'll take him like three hours to write a letter that would take me an hour. Right. So, and mental health is the same way because we are so individualized. Therapy can just so help us to recognize that we only have a certain amount of energy and that certain things take us longer or take more of that energy from us and so we can we have to budget that the same way yeah. that we would budget money or the same way that we would try to budget time with a calendar we get to put limits on the things that are going to be draining to our mental health. Um, so yeah. it's a mental health budget. <laughs> which I like totally. that.
0: And I think as moms, we like to kind of be martyrs a little bit mm-hmm. and put everybody else first, or mm-hmm. even not even only as moms, but as women, as caretakers, we fill this certain role where we feel like everybody else needs to be taken care of before ourselves. And the beautiful thing about therapy is that it is a one-sided conversation. So instead of going volleying back and forth with my husband about his needs, my needs, his needs, my needs, the baby's needs, my needs, this is a space that for one hour, it is just about my needs and what would be best for me because in most parts of life, it doesn't work like that and conversations don't work like that. So I did get to just have the opportunity to sit down with someone, give them my story in an objective way where they're not they don't care if I have more ch- children, you know, my therapist doesn't need me to fit that, you know, perfect stereotype. Yeah. So I was able to really say, I don't think I can do this again. And here's why and be completely supported and validated by another person, and not feel like I have to say, Oh, but Penny might someday want a sibling, and I might be doing something wrong by not giving her one, instead to just be supported and say, if if you feel like that's what's right for you, then that is perfect. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that it seems like such a stigma. It seems like such a an oddball thing to just have one, but statistically it's, it's not uncommon. Like I live near Seattle, Washington in the US and we're at almost 40% of families have only children. Mm. That's, that's not a small amount. So where is this, where is this negative ah. stereotype even coming from anymore? Like I get it decades ago, it was pretty uncommon. And before that, it was very uncommon. But as we're progressing in society and women are choosing school before children and they're waiting longer to get married and all of these different things where women are feeling empowered to put themselves first in a lot of different situations, mm-hmm. having an only child is more and more common. So like I feel like people really need to catch up. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I wonder how much too like television, um, like sitcoms and mm. things have had an impact on that because uh, when you're when you're casting or writing a show at two kids does kind of make for more storylines. So oh, I yeah. wonder, you know, I wonder how much that industry um, has just impacted kind I of that societal idea. I think it's a huge, huge,
0: impact. We yeah. actually have a whole segment on each episode called the pop culture segment. Mm-hmm. So we pick a different show and we talk about how only children are stereotyped in that show. Mm-hmm. So it was like um, Rugrats, there was Angelica, mm-hmm. and then... Um, What was another one, King of the Hill? I don't know why I'm just naming the cartoons. Oh, the Gilmore (laughs) Girls, if you've seen that show, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of only children in that show and like there's a lot to unpack, Mm -hmm. but it's just a way to talk about how these stereotypes are being perpetuated through media and through TV and only children. There's one thing I always notice that if a person is an only child when they're a kid, it's not so much for adults, but if they're a kid and they're an only child, a lot of cases, one or both parents have passed away or one or both parents are very, very high ranking business associates.
1: Hmm.
0: And once you see it, it'll be hard to unsee because this is the only justification that movies and TV will give for people mm-hmm. deciding to have one kid. Wow! It's like, Oh, okay. So you fit one of those two parameters. Then I guess it's a pass. You can oh, have an only child. I'm thinking about Gilmore Girls. And most of them, it's one parent household. Yes. Maybe all of them. Yeah. Gilmore Girls. There's a lot. I, I could do a whole podcast on Gilmore Girls <laughs> if I'm honest, but, um, I never understood why it was written like this, but, um, it's like Rory, Lorelai and Richard. So the three generations of the Gilmores, they're all only children. And then Rory's dad, Christopher is, and then her best friend Lane is. So that's just the central characters of the show, (laughs) all are only children. Mm. And it's, it's really strange. It actually defies the stereotypes. Well, actually Rory's dad, um, left the family. Spoiler alert for Gilmore Girls for your listeners. (laughs) But uh, he left. So I guess it kind of fits the like one parent passes away or one parent leaves. Yeah, There's just not a lot of examples of two happily married stable Mm -hmm. parents with just one child.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about um, modern family uh, and um, gosh, Cam and Mitchell. uh, And they have they Lily. Uh, Is Lily. That Lily's parents, yeah. 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 And there was a really great episode about that where they considered, you know, having another uh, child or adopting another child, um, and made the conscious decision to really have
0: one child. So, oh, I need um, to watch that. That would be <laughs> a good segment. As, yeah, as an only
1: child, who because there are a lot of um, stereotypes that come with saying I'm an only child too, right? It's like the spoiled, uh, you know, like isolated, socially um, awkward type yep. of. Which I mean, okay, but you know, so, <laughs> not all of them are true. And, <laughs> Uh, So I think that, like, even just growing up as an only child and then having my daughter uh, and she's an only child, I think that, like, when I saw that episode, that was such a validating episode because they made the conscious choice. Like, they could have adopted another one, right? And they kind of go through the whole process of, you know, what do do we want to do? Um, which seems like a simple question, but it's, it's
0: not, (laughs) it's a complicated question. Right. Um, And they're, they're a gay couple. mm -hmm. Um, so that's another thing about our podcast that we're trying to support is for the gay and lesbian and the LGBTQ plus community, Mm -hmm. um, because they have to go through those routes of like surrogacy or adoption or other means to have a child. Mm -hmm. I feel like they need even more support as well, because that's one more option that's taken away from them. So, Mm -hmm they have to spend a lot more money or go through a lot more of a process in order to even just be able to experience being a parent mm-hmm. and then to then be criticized again because they only did it the one time. Mm-hmm. And that is the same for um, all the folks who have struggled with infertility. Yeah, um, That's another crossover for our, our listeners. We have this really interesting base of sort of the, the by choice folks the infertility folks, and then like the somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. And we just feel like there's so many people out there who worked their butts off. Sorry. I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast (laughs) who worked really, really hard to have children and society still says that's not enough.
1: That's such a good point. In, in my situation, we went through infertility for four years and then I got pregnant with her and it was like a miracle situation. But I thought, you know, would I, would I want to do that again? Um, It's just, it's so painful for that four years. Yeah. Um, But yeah, definitely complicates it with having four years of saying, well, you're married. When, when are we having a kid? Right. And then then you have the kid and then it just doesn't stop uh, yeah. after that but yeah, yeah. the v word <laughs> vasectomy. <Yeah>. that <laughs> right. i've i've said to some people too i'm like you can have another one you know like <laughs> older <laughs> some of like older relatives you know say like oh when are you going to have another i'm like when are you going to have another <laughs>
0: Do you think more children need to exist in the world? You can take that on if you want. I'm yeah, not Yeah, you can to. totally,
1: <laughs> totally do that at your house. That's yeah. what I say to people who have dogs. No offense to both of you because you both have dogs. I don't want a dog. I have two cats uh, and I love dogs at other people's houses, right? So I think that's totally. kind of, I mean, it's kind of a similar thing. It doesn't mean that I don't love dogs. I just don't want one at my house. And, you know, for people who choose to have only one child or choose to have no children, Children. It's not that they don't love kids. It's yeah. that, like I'm choosing not to have a right. child in my house of my own. So, And
0: I hear people sometimes with that straw man argument about like, okay, well, if everyone had an only child, then nobody would ever have nieces and nephews and blah, blah, blah. So you just want everyone in the world to be an only child. It's like, when did I ever <laughs> say that? No, I have four siblings and I love them. I had a great time growing up. I have nieces and nephews that I love. I am not saying it's for everybody. I'm just saying for the people who choose it, Mm -hmm. we should support them. I don't think that there's any good time to judge a family for something that they're doing that doesn't hurt anybody. And that is a completely personal choice. I think we should just let people do what works best for them.
1: So if, if anybody is listening and they have experienced um, these, any of these kinds of challenges that I think between the two of us who kind of brought up several challenges, right? Yeah. That the people go through. And um, so if you had a suggestion for somebody listening who is maybe on the fence about starting counseling for any of these concerns, uh, what advice would you give them? Or what do you want to, them to hear?
0: What I would. Would say first and foremost is that if you're a parent and you want to be the best parent you can be, you need to hold space for yourself mm-hmm. and you need to find a way to honor your own emotions and what's best for you. And I think when you're already in the parenthood space, it can feel like you don't really have time to do that. So just taking that one hour a week, every two weeks, whatever it is, to really get back in touch with yourself and your needs. It's actually going to make you a better parent and a better spouse and the person that you really want to be.
1: I love that. I think we can get feeling guilty about that hour a week, but that hour, that hour a week
0: multiplies
1: itself. It's an investment in ourselves and in our relationships with
0: everybody around us. Yeah. And guilt is such a prevalent thing for moms and for parents in general. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be something to feel guilty about. It's actually why I'm still in therapy today is Mm -hmm. my therapist and I, we talk a lot about my guilt of only having one child and the things that I'm not able to do for Penny that I would love to be able to do if I if I didn't get sick. And as a mom or as a parent, you're always going to wonder if you're doing the absolute best for your child. And one way to make sure that you're doing the best for them is to make sure that you're okay, that um. your mental health is where it, where it needs to be. People who are hurting inside have a hard time, I don't know, really truly seeing the potential of loving others and being happy with what they have and where they are and it can feel like you aren't able to really immerse yourself in the experience and and find the full happiness that you deserve to have Mm
1: -hmm. absolutely and and i think sometimes like we have a tendency to think that that guilt makes us a better (laughs) parent, right but but the opposite is so true because how easily does guilt unchecked turn into resentment um and we don't want to be resentful against our kids. Um, but you know, if we're not identifying that that is guilt and calling it that and being able to process it and, and express it to somebody, um, then, then how quickly does it turn into resentment? Um, that's, that's not deserved (laughs) by our family or resentment
0: towards your spouse or resentment towards yourself. It Mm -hmm. can just manifest into a lot of anger.
1: That's right. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jess, for being on our podcast this week. This has been really, really
0: uh, interesting for for me personally. Yeah, <laughs> to, I had no idea it was going to be like <laughs> that. That many similarities. I'm I'm really like taken away by that. That's so cool. <laughs>
1: So, I mean, it, it, it just gives me so much inspiration and, and hope that, you know, there are other people experiencing these kinds of challenges. Not that I, you know, I guess misery does love company, <laughs> you know, but it just is so, so validating to know that these challenges are not, um, because of me as a person right or because sure. of me as a mom or because of us as a family um that these are, are shared experiences that other people have experienced and also that other people have been able to uh to still maintain maintain boundaries around and still right. be able to cope with um so that's just really really awesome and and no wonder you have such a great following of people who really <laughs> identify in uh from all of these various yeah, uh, we're
0: lucky to have found a, a very a great community of people who just really support each other and want to feel that same validation that every other family does, whether your family has zero kids or one kid or 10 kids or However you want to have your family, you deserve to feel validated.
1: Wonderful. So how can people find the podcast and how can they connect with you in this community? Where do they find sure.
0: you? Uh, so we're anywhere you stream your podcasts. It's only you, a one and done podcast. Uh, we're the most active on Instagram at only you podcast. And our show is structured in a way that we take um, emails and voice messages and Instagram messages. However you want to contact us is fine. And if you'd like, you can be featured on the show with your story. So you can email us at onlyupod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at only you a one and done podcast. And like I said, whatever way you want to get in touch, we'd be happy to hear from you.
1: Perfect. I love how inclusive. It even Absolutely. though one and done seems not right, but, but it, it really is the message of it, I think is just so awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, and also we, if you were an only child, we hear from a lot of people mm-hmm. like that too, even if they don't have children, because they want to talk about how their childhood was. And it actually is really great for our moms and dads to hear, hey, this person seems like they're doing pretty all right. They're doing baby. okay. I don't have to worry <laughs> so much. <laughs>
1: that's right that's great yeah you can kind of look into the future a little bit yes go, yeah people love
0: okay. that thanks again for having me i am jessica meyer and i need a counselor
1: if you are in iowa and you also need a counselor um please call us at heart and solutions at 800-531-4236 uh or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash heart and solutions uh, we're also on instagram at I And like
0: Julie mentioned at the beginning, we do post every Sunday night at 5. So save up all your laundry or your tours from the week and do that while you are listening to us. Um, And we do post those trailers now Fridays as well. So if you log on on Friday, you can get a little clip of what you'll be expecting on Sunday
1: evening. Absolutely. And if you have questions for Jess Meyer, um, or questions about the podcast or her experience, um, go ahead and send us a message on Facebook or on Instagram as well. Because Jess, we would love to have you on again. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. And, and when people have questions for you, it would just be so great for you to be able to answer their questions next time. Totally.
0: I would love to. Yeah.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, I'm Crystal Brown. And I'm Julie Johnson. And we need a counselor. And so do you. Bye. Bye.